New Theories of Volcanism and A. Brune by G. W. Terrell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. R. A. Daly, Proceedings of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences, Volume 47, Number 3, 1911, pages 45 to 122, bases a paper on the nature of volcanic action on his well-known theory of abyssal injection. He believes that the worldwide granitic terrain underlying the interrupted sedimentary shell is itself underlain by a shell of eruptible basalt, which is the source and heat-bringer of all igneous action. He points to the fact that all the great lava floods of the world are of basalt and have welled out from great fissures which are supposed to have tapped this basaltic substratum, although it is not supposed that simple openings extend to this depth. Other igneous rocks are believed to be due to the absorption of the underlying acid shell, as abyssal injections of basalt, caused by crustal deformation, work their way upwards by a method known as stoping. This involves the constant wedging away of blocks from the roof of the resulting batholith and their solution in depth. The resulting mixed magmas are called syntectics, and with or without subsequent differentiation are held to give rise to the known variety of igneous rocks. Daly holds that volcanism is a subsidiary effect of abyssal intrusion. He distinguishes three phases of volcanic action. Fissure eruptions, in which lava rises with great rapidity through relatively thin cracks in the crust, eruptions through local foundering of the roof of a batholitic intrusion, and central eruptions of the common cone and crater type. Fissure eruptions are well known, and beside the recent Iceland examples, there are numerous others belonging to past ages. The Yellowstone Park rhyolite is believed to be an example of the second type of volcanic action. This huge mass of lava, cut by canyons to a depth of 600 meters without revealing its base, lacking horizontal division planes indicating successive flows, is without parallel amongst lava flows. Daly believes that it passes gradually downwards into a batholithic mass of granite and is due to the foundering of part of the roof of this batholith, whereby the molten rock was solidified under surface conditions. Certain eruptions are supposed to originate in a cupula-like extension of the roof of a batholithic intrusion, where stoping action would be intensified by a concentration of the hot, volatile magmatic fluids. On reaching the surface, the cupula would originate a volcanic focus, and a cone would be formed. At this stage, the problem of the continuance of the volcano becomes the problem of the continuance of heat within the funnel. There are five conceivable methods whereby heat may be transferred from the magma to the vent. 1. Explosive removal of material from the upper part of the vent, followed by uprise of magma. 2. Simple outflow of magma at the crater lip. 3. Thermal convection in the lava column. 4. Two-phase convection. 5. The uprise of superheated juvenile gas through the lava column. At Kilauea, on the observation of which this theory is partly based, the first and second methods are inoperative. The third is known to be inefficient in heat transfer, but the fourth, a process conceived to be due to the uprise of comparatively light, hot, gas-permeated magma in the lava column and its return along the margins of the vent as comparatively heavy, cooled, gas-free magma, may bring a considerable quantity of heat to the surface. 
This process is believed to be the cause of the lava currents in the crater of Kilauea. The fifth method may be efficient as a heat bringer at some vents, but not at Kilauea. A large overlooked source of heat, according to Daly, is that set free by chemical reaction between the constituents of the hot and active magmatic fluids. Many striking figures are given, illustrating the great amount of heat evolved by the reactions between the common elements of these fluids. The process outlined above is known as the gas fluxing hypothesis, and is considered analogous to that of a gas blowpipe. Some explosive types, such as the Reese cauldron and Bendazin, are considered due to the contact of hot magmatic material with vados waters circulating within the rocks. The explosions here are non-volcanic, but there may be all gradations between this type and those, such as the Hawaiian volcanoes, characterized by quiet magmatic extrusion without explosion. In ordinary volcanoes, there are great variations in the proportions of magmatic and vados fluids involved, and consequently great variety in modes of eruption. With regard to the now much-discussed role of steam in volcanic action, Daly says, quote, Though the rise of hot magma into rocks charged with vados or conate water does often cause explosion, the steam pressure produced by such volatilized water can no more be regarded as the cause of volcanism than is the boiling of a kettle the cause of the heat in the stove. Unquote. A. Brun Whilst Daly emphasizes the adventitious nature of the intervention of water in volcanic action, it is to Brun of Geneva that we are indebted for what appears to be the overthrow of the old axiom that paroxysmal eruption is due to the explosive violence of steam. In the Geological Magazine for June and July, Mr. E. B. Bailey of the Geological Survey gives an illuminating review of the new book, Recherche sur l'Exhalation Volcanique, by this original and courageous worker. One of the most valuable features of Brun's work is the mass of new and exact experimental data he has accumulated in respect to volcanicity. Not only has he measured the temperature constants of many minerals found in lavas, but new work has been done in the methods of collection, extraction, and analysis of the various volcanic gases, both in the field and in the laboratory. Experimental work on the behavior of rocks during heating has resulted in their classification as active or dead. Active rocks, typified by recent lavas, expand and liberate gas at such a rate, when heated, that the molten material fumes over the edge of the crucible, like a miniature lava flow. Active acid rocks are more violent than basic, and give rise to veritable explosions. Dead rocks, among which are schist, granite, and gabbro, give off gas during heating, but at a higher temperature melt quietly without much expansion or violence. The temperature at which gas is emitted in active rocks so rapidly as to cause sudden expansion and explosion is called the explosion temperature. The maximum temperature possible at a volcano is fixed by the explosion temperature of its magma. The principal gases liberated at the explosion temperature are chlorine, hydrochloric acid, and oxides of carbon. The solids evolved are chlorides of the alkali metals and ammonium. Sulfur occurs, but is always in small quantity. Such water as is contained in the rock is always given off before the explosion temperature is reached. These constituents, with the exception of carbon monoxide, are the same as those actually emitted at volcanoes. Brun's main thesis is that paroxysmal explosions are anhydrous, 
and that the aqueous character of fumaroles is due to the contact of volcanic heat with superficial waters. This view is supported by many striking observations. It is shown, for example, that near the crater of Vesuvius, the ashes fall quite dry, but are extremely hygroscopic, owing to the presence of chlorides of iron and magnesium. Moreover, the ash which falls is white, whereas if it had been exposed to the action of water vapor at a high temperature, it would redden immediately, owing to its content of ferrous chloride. In the crater itself, such deliquescing salts as ferric chloride, ferrous chloride, magnesium chloride, and aluminum chloride may be collected dry and undecomposed, whilst hot water vapor would immediately reduce them to oxides. Further evidence is adduced from the study of the white clouds which hang over volcanoes. These are generally regarded as water vapor, but Brune shows that they are persistent and insoluble in the atmosphere as they drift away from the volcanic focus, and are therefore composed of solid particles. At Kilauea, Brune took a series of dew-point readings in the great white cloud as it drifted across the crater lip. His results show in every case a lower dew-point for the air within than for the air outside the cloud. The lower dew-point is believed to be caused by the dilution of the air with anhydrous gases carrying hygroscopic solids in suspension. On the contrary, a markedly elevated dew-point was obtained at the peripheral fumaroles, as was indeed to be expected. It seems, therefore, that Brun has at least established the anhydricity of volcanic exhalations, and great probability attaches to his view that water is not the agent to which paroxysmal eruptions must be attributed. End of New Theories of Volcanism and A. Brun by G. W. Tyrrell Knowledge, 1911